The following podcast uses words that lawyers don't use in court, even though they're thinking them. Hello and welcome to episode 277 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. In Stateline, Nevada, I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Vienna, Virginia is Ben Olson. Ben, what's new? Not a whole lot. It snowed here for us, which means it's really bright outside. Actually, love this. And it got cold. Usually around here when it snows, the snow turns to like mud pretty quickly. But since it's cold, it's all frozen. And I went running this morning. It's a little slippery, but I wasn't going to skip. (laughs) Be careful. Don't break your leg. Um, Today on the show, we have a Pearls versus Turds. It's a... uh, a set of tips for online learning. And that is actually from uh, producer Annalisa, a dot sent that in. Um, okay. So that'll be interesting. We have a demon encounter at target, a, uh, what? a demon fan <laughs> sent us in a little interaction that she had uh, while walking around target based on her demon t-shirt. We have oh. a, Question about study strategies for the January LSAT, which is coming up. We have an email about better nutrition, better brain power, better LSAT. I think this is a follow-on from our discussion we had last week. We have an update from a demon uh, student who got a 173 and a full ride to Georgetown. And then we have V's personal statement. Thank you very much, V, for uh, submitting yourself to the wood chipper. This uh, episode is going to air on Monday, December 21st. Uh, That means you've got a couple weeks still to sign up for the February LSAT flex. The deadline for that is January 6th. The January LSAT flex uh, testing week begins on January 16th. It's too late to sign up for that. And the uh, February LSAT flex uh, testing week starts on February 20th. You can email the show if you'd like to get on the agenda. Uh, we are help at thinkinglsat.com. If you're a fan of the show and you appreciate the advice and help we give you, please do uh, subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. I guess we should do, you, why don't you do the uh, fee waiver uh notice just so people know what we're giving away. Yeah. So if you don't make a lot of money or don't have a lot of money, you can apply for a fee waiver from LSAC. That gives you a ton of stuff. It gives you two free LSATs. Um, It gives you their $99 prep plus subscription for a year. You get um, fees waived from law schools when you apply. Anyways, if you think you might qualify, you should definitely apply and if you get a fee waiver from LSAC, uh, they'll send you a letter saying that you got one. You can send us that PDF letter, and we will give you four months of Demon Basic for $30. That's it. Why do we charge them $30? Um, uh, just, you know, it seems like a good amount. <laughs> yeah, that's the amount that LSAC charges us for uh, having the privilege of working with you as we use their licensed Specifically materials. Specifically for the fee waiver students too, right? I mean, like, yeah. they mm-hmm. they went out of their way to say, oh no, yeah, for the fee waiver students, you still have to pay us that $30 fee. 
how they came yeah. up with that $30 fee and why they don't waive it for fee waiver students, I will never understand. If you're going to give it to them, why don't you give it to them? But <laughs> anyway, they, yeah. they do not. Um, I'm excited about our fee waiver program, Ben. We've got like 100 people now already uh, doing the demon yeah. for free mm-hmm. because of the fee waiver. So yep. that's, uh, that's exciting. I'm glad we've got that program going. Yeah, so just to clarify, it's $30 for four months. So that's a flat one-time fee. Um, Demon Basic is normally $95 a month, which would be $380 plus the $99 for LSAC's prep plus subscription. So you're saving a lot of money there. If you want to do something more than Demon Basic, if you want to do Demon Premium or Demon Live, or you want to do Demon Basic longer than four months, uh, we'll give you 20% off any of those regular subscriptions. Yeah, if you actually do have money and you were still able to get the LSAC fee waiver, which um, I've been hearing some shenanigans of people who've been able to get that fee waiver, but I'm not going to encourage people to go out of their way to do potentially fraudulent uh, stuff to the law school admission wow, council. Yeah. Anyway, okay. we haven't made an announcement about this on the show. We probably can just make this announcement one time. It's so weird these live captions on the demon classes. Have you done this yet, Ben, in your class? Uh, yeah. Edin thankfully reminds me every time because yeah. I forget to turn them on. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, live captions in the classes. I guess people like that. It's wild. The Zoom live captioning tool works amazingly well. I think it hmm. could be particularly useful for people who uh, don't speak English as their first language. To yeah. be able to, because I mean, I know that I use words that people don't know, even people yeah. who do speak English as the first, their first language, you know, yeah. I, I'll, I'll yeah. throw in a word that I learned in law school or whatever. And, uh, having it, it, the zoom tool works eerily shockingly well and so fast. Hmm. And it's just right there yeah. in right there at the bottom of the screen in all of our classes now. Uh, which is yet another reason why online learning is better than live classroom learning for the LSAT. Yeah, you can't have a live transcript <laughs> appear no. below an in-person teacher. That is true. No, you cannot. Um, okay, pearls versus turds. You want to take this first one? I do. Okay, uh, just a quick re- recap. We have nine pearls on the scoreboard through this segment of the program we've had 41 turds and 21 ties which adds up to 62 just bogus pieces of information out there uh, i'm sure there's a lot more than that but for today's pearl versus tur- pearls versus turds let's see what this, this person has to say hey guys here's a pvt yeah they're familiar with this ep- this segment of the show you pen sent it out to folks during onboarding and i thought the advice was in line with you what you guys say okay oh you're saying ta- you're saying annalisa <laughs> yeah this is from a dot so she's sorry, she's sorry, i forgot you familiar just said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah very familiar okay a dot i've never studied is uh, starting a master's program in computer science I- i'm not sure if that's exactly the program the name of the major but she's she's starting a program at university of penn uh at doing computer science shit. So this is what they sent her out. So hopefully this will be okay. Good advice. Yeah. Cool. Um, 
I've never studied online! Exclamation point. What are more strategies I could use? This must be a segment of a longer email. Yeah. Okay. Number one, ask for support. Find people who support you. For example, if your husband understands your new study routine, maybe he could cook dinner so you have extra study time. I guess when I read ask for support, I was thinking, like, hit the ask button. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as a general proposition. But this is like more external support. Ask for help. People should ask for more help, period. You know, I think everybody should ask their friends and family. What are your friends and family for? They want to help you. You're doing them a yeah. favor by asking them yeah. for help. So I think this is a clear, um, solid piece of advice, not just for online learning, but for all sorts of anything you're doing. I think everybody should be asking for help. I agree. I, I was actually just thinking about it as you were talking. And I think in America, people you do have people who ask for too much help and it just gets annoying. But I would say the vast majority of people err on the other side. They're either afraid or too prideful to ask for help. Yeah. Americans are supposed to be these like rugged individualists, right? I mean, that's our reputation Mm -hmm. in the world. And what we do is we kind of isolate ourselves and I, you know, just tough it out instead of telling people that we're struggling and need some support. So, all right. And when you ask for help, it doesn't hurt to be specific. Like people like that. Like, oh, this is a good example, actually. Could you cook dinner for me? Yes. It's very easy to say yes. Can you help me? Sure. But how? Okay, number two, learn incrementally. Spread out your learning in any subject a little every day, just like an athlete. Hmm, Interesting analogy. Your brain is like a muscle. It can handle only a limited amount of exercise on one subject at a time. I absolutely have to agree with this. I say this all the time on the show. So Yeah, broadly, I would say, you know, a little bit of LSAT studying every day mixed in with all of your other obligations and um, recreation and sleep and exercise and all the other stuff that you're going to do in life. Yeah. Uh, But even within the LSAT, I really don't like it when people just focus just on logical reasoning or just on one, whatever section, I don't care what section or like just on necessary assumption questions. Right. I don't like it when people narrow their focus and then try to do an hour or two or three hours on that one topic. Instead, we're always recommending that people do a balanced approach of just kind of mix it up, do a couple LR questions, do a reading comp passage, do a game and just kind of cycle through it. Yep. All right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's like you, you hear these people every now and then they're like, have this plan like, Oh, this month I'm going to master games. And then the following month I'll master logical reasoning. it's like, no, it's not how you'd work out. Three focus, turn off all interrupting beeps and alarms on your phone and computer, and then turn on a timer for 25 minutes. Focus intently for those 25 minutes and try to work as diligently as you can. After the timer goes off, give yourself a small, fun reward. A few of these sessions in a day can really move your studies forward. Try to set up times and places where studying, not glancing at your computer or phone, is just something you naturally do. Um, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more that you should set aside time. Uh, I don't know 
if it has to be 25 minutes, but oh. I don't think that's a bad number. On the LSAT, um, sometimes it's going to be 35 minutes, right? <laughs> yeah. So any any yeah. number, including a 35-minute yeah. timed section. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really I, the the part I like the most about this is to turn off all your alerts. I mean, yeah. the, all of them. Like you yeah. shouldn't be getting alerts when someone texts you. God forbid getting alerts from Facebook and Instagram and that type of shit. Shut all that stuff off and just focus for, you know, a high quality, shorter amount of time. I tried to do something like that this morning where I said to myself, okay, I'm only going to do email in this window. And in that window, as I'm going through email, there were certain things that came up as I was doing the email, like, oh, I got to check out this thing or I got to check out this thing. But I'm like, no, I'm just going to knock these out. And so I took a three by five card next to me and I just wrote in pen like, oh, this is something I want to get done. But it it allowed me to like just keep barreling forward and not get like pulled into these random like side things. I mean, I know that's people aren't necessarily doing that during the LSAT, but there's huge power in just like saying, no, this is people come in they're like, Oh, Hey, can you help me with this? It's like, no, right now I'm working on this. I'm, this is my focus. Um, and then when you're done, even if you don't do all that you wanted to do during that time studying for the LSAT, you know, you gave a good 35 minutes or a good hour and it wasn't yeah, there's, a diluted hour. I, I remember those studies that came out a while back that were like basically multitasking is just not a thing. You can't do it. Yeah. You think you can do it, yeah. but all you're really doing is just switching between tasks really rapidly and doing a shitty job at all of them. So do one thing for a shorter amount of time and then move on to whatever other thing. That just reminded me too of that Microsoft study that kind of blew me away when they they were saying that as soon as someone gets distracted, it takes on average 25 minutes to get back to whatever they were doing. I was like, no way. Like, you get distracted, like maybe five minutes. But then I found so many times where I got pulled away. Like I left because, you know, the doorbell rang and then I'm answering the door and some kid comes up to me. is like, oh, hey, I need this. And I'm like going off and doing that. And then I'm like some cleaning kid. up some dishes. <laughs> By that, you mean one of your children? <laughs> yeah. One of yeah. <laughs> Someone shorter than me asking These me by the name of father. In my house. <laughs> and I'm like running around and I'm doing dishes and then and then I come back and I'm like, holy shit. Like I was in the middle of this email and now it's 530 and I like it was out of sight, out of mind. Right. And so when they said the average time it takes to get back to a task is 25 minutes, I totally believe it now. Sure, sometimes it's five minutes, but so many times you just blew through a bunch of shit that you were not planning to do. And that's what you have to avoid. You have to close your door. You have to tell, you have to leave sometimes. Can't do it at your, I mean, it's hard these days, but some people might have to leave their, their house or at least close their door and turn off their devices. All right. Anyways. Keep going. Yeah. Four, sequence intentionally. Do the hardest thing earliest in the day when you are fresh. Wow. I agree with all these advice, all these tips so far. Um, (laughs) That's exactly what I did this morning too. I was like, okay, I'm so much better in the morning than I am later. 
Anyways, I did some accounting stuff, taxes stuff. I hate that stuff, but I got it knocked out because I had the energy. Yeah, the older Anyways. I've gotten, the more that advice has seemed apt. Like I, I get tired or more tired later in the day. And mm-hmm. yep, I think it's true for everybody that you should just, whenever your highest quality hour is, that's the hour that you should bring to the LSAT study table if you can. Yeah. And I think for most people, that's probably before work or before school. Um, nobody yeah. likes to be a morning person or many people hate the mornings and don't think of themselves as a morning person. But if you're going to be successful in law school and if you're going to be successful as a lawyer, ain't no, I hate the mornings. That's <laughs> that's just bullshit. Like that is not a well, lawyer characteristic. And as someone who saw himself as a night owl slash not a morning person for years, like most of my life, I would argue it's just going to bed too late. <laughs> right. Right. You're not, if you went to bed normally, you'd wake up fine and you just don't realize it. And yeah, there's going to be some adjustment period. So you may say like, try it for a day or two and be like, no, I'm not a morning person. See, no, it's because you just haven't developed good habits. Yeah. And Stop. it's like. Sure, you can uh, write a bad but adequate paper for college at two in the morning, but it's not the most efficient way to do it. You would have, you no. know, you could you could have probably done that same amount of you know one hour of work at nine in the morning instead of doing three hours of work at eleven p.m. when you're tired and distracted and. You know, just I think people do need to start uh, getting up, go go to bed, get up in the morning, handle your shit. All right. What else? Yeah. And if you're if you're still not motivated to do that, read the book, The Circadian Code. Mm. It will basically tell you that there's a bunch of things going on in your body that are preventing you from really doing your best late at night and trying to sleep in the morning when you should be awake. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Five, use explanatory questioning and simple analogies. Whenever you are struggling with a concept, think to yourself, how can I explain this so that a 10-year-old could understand it? Using an analogy really helps, like saying that the flow of electricity is like the flow of water. <laughs> There's an LSAT question about yeah. that, I think. Don't just think you're... Ex- don't just think your explanation, say it out loud or put it in writing. The additional effort of speaking and writing allows you to more deeply encode, that is, convert into neural memory structures what you are learning. Holy shit. I mean, this is another pearl. And these guys are, I don't know, they're, they're talking my language. Uh, yeah, um, I, I agree. Uh, explain it to a friend. I mean, that's what I try to do when I'm explaining LSAT logical reasoning questions. I'm trying to explain it to a decently smart teenager. Teenager. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. about my niece a lot. Mm-hmm. She's yep. an eighth grader now, you know, I, it's like most LSAT logical reasoning questions can be explained to a bright adolescent and that's what you should be going for with your study partner. You know, you should yeah. be talking it out. You can talk to us if you're a demon subscriber. You know, you can explain it to your teacher, explain it to your tutor, 
and explain it to your study partners, but you should be able to get it down into fairly plain spoken English. It really is just common sense once you decipher it and then it'll stick. So I'm loving it so far. Uh Uh-oh, this next part, let's, let's switch it up. I'll, I'll do the strategies to avoid. Sure, Go for it. Yep. Okay. This is excerpted. This is uh, continuing on in this long email. Uh, excerpted from a mind for numbers, how to excel in math and science, even if you flunked algebra, uh, by Barbara Oakley. Okay. Avoid these techniques. They can waste your time, even while they fool you into thinking you're learning. Number one, passive rereading, sitting passively and running your eyes back over a page. Unless you can prove that the material is moving into your brain by recalling the main ideas without looking at the page, rereading is a waste of time. Couldn't agree more. (laughs) Couldn't agree more. Uh, It happens on logical reasoning. It happens on reading comp. It even happens on games. Students just freeze up and you just see them kind of going over and over and over and over and over. And I think it's a, I like it better when I see people look away from the page, right? Yeah. If you look away from the page and you think through in your own words, what they just said, I, now you know that something is going in. Yeah. Rereading is okay, but it needs to be active rereading, you know, stop, make sure you're getting what you just read. Okay. Number two, anything you want to make any comments about that? No, I okay. <laughs> I'm like standing up and cheering. They're this nailing it. Like, I mean, did we write this email? Number two, seriously, letting highlights overwhelm you. Highlighting your text can fool your mind into thinking you are putting something in your brain when all you're really doing is moving your hand. A little highlighting here and there is okay. Sometimes it can be helpful in flagging important points. But if you are using highlighting as a memory tool, make sure that what you mark is also going into your brain. Uh, yeah, it becomes an excuse not to understand. Exactly. Right? Like, oh, oh, that seems important, so I'm going to highlight it. No. Highlighting and Picture underlining it. and even taking notes sometimes is an excuse for not actually understanding. This looks important. Let me highlight it. We, uh, in the Slack channel, Ben, uh, in the tutoring channel, one of our tutors wrote a note about one of our students who had learned somewhere to highlight, they were highlighting reading comprehension passages, not in one color, but in two different colors. Oh my God. And wherever they learned that strategy, (laughs) that that is no, no possible way that that's helping that student. I've never seen, I've been doing this for a decade plus. I've never seen one student be successful with highlighters. Like, you know, (laughs) for what it's, just understand it. Just read it better. Read it slower. Read it more carefully. It's not that long. It's not that long. Like maybe <laughs> highlighting comes from like reading super long things and like you might want to remember where you read something, I guess. But even then you'd still have to make sure you understand it. It can't be an excuse to just like move on. Yeah. <laughs> this is a pearl so far. Let's hope that they don't fuck themselves here. But I, I think that I think we got a pearl on our hands here. Um, yep. Number three says, merely glancing at a problem's solution and thinking you know how to do it. (laughs) This is one of the worst errors students make while studying. You need to be able to solve a problem step by step without looking at the solution. 
Yeah, this is like blind review, right? Oh, 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 D, D, yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> no. Can you do it without knowing what the correct answer is? Could you explain it to me, to my mm -hmm. satisfaction? Could you explain it to Ben, yep. to his satisfaction? If you can't tell me exactly why the right answer is right and why the wrong answer is wrong, you're not, you don't get it. You don't really get it. You're all you're telling me essentially is I looked at the answer key and I know the answer is D. When you said that, that reminded me of all those times in class where I was standing up at the front. This is for some reason, this took me back to in-person classes, but, um, and someone was like, yeah, I understand it or whatever. We're having some discussion about the, the answer. And I say, okay, like, I'm not totally sure your reasoning is right. Can you explain why that's correct to us, the class, to me? And they would start and then stumble and then invariably say something like, well, I understand it. I get it. It makes sense. And I got it right. Like, let's move on. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. If you get them all right, you know, like if you show me your logical reasoning section and you got 25 out of 25, yeah, then I'm willing to give you some credit that you, okay, you probably get it. But if yeah. you missed like three or four, then the other ones that you got right are now kind of suspect, right? It's like, mm -hmm. well, for each one that you missed, there's probably another one that you kind of got lucky on. And that's okay. I mean, that is part of the game. Mm -hmm. But when you're reviewing that question, it's not enough to just say, oh, I got it right. I understand it. I mean, that's not a, it's just not a convincing argument. Okay. Um, Waiting until the last minute. These are, we're still going through the uh, strategies to avoid. There are eight of them. This is number four. Yep. Waiting until the last minute to study. Would you cram at the last minute if you were practicing for a track meet? Your brain is like a muscle. It can handle only a limited amount of exercise on one subject at a time. They're doubling down on their earlier advice. Yeah. Waiting until the last minute. We see this all the time. We see it with the test. We see it with applications, um, personal statements. Yep. Oh, I'll, I'll just, I, I got something here. It is like, oh, we get, <laughs> I've, we see it in two different ways. It's funny. Cause like, you can't, you can't lie to us. We, we know you, like we see you as a student. We, we know what's up with you. And so, mm -hmm. and, but we get students, we get people who are new to us, which we appreciate them mm -hmm. reaching out, but we get people who are like, I'm, I'm taking the January LSAT and I need to improve by 10 points. And it's like, Oh, okay. But it's a month from now. We're just now meeting you. Maybe we can make it happen for you, but I, we certainly can't guarantee that. Yeah. So that's one way that people wait till the last minute. And then another thing that we see, and we can see this starkly in the demon with the demon live classes our classes are always way fuller when there's a test coming up in the next like yeah. two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's not how it should be. People are, should be yeah. studying for, like people end up, you know, being subscribed for three months or four months sometimes and like, or even longer sometimes. Well, if you're subscribed, then you should be going to the classes. 
So it's weird that like, even if our subscriber numbers don't change, the attendance changes so much yeah. based on whether there's a test coming up in literally the next two weeks. Yeah. That's come on guys. That's that. <laughs> what do you think you're going to do? All right. I guess we, I guess we can give the current demon live and premium subscribers some credit. It seems like the January LSAT's a month away and enrollment has, or I'm uh, sorry, attendance has picked back up again. So hopefully they're starting to get it. Do it now. Oh, if you're taking, yeah, like if you're taking the January LSAT, you should definitely be in classes now. And you should be in classes like through Christmas, you know, like you shouldn't stop. Obviously, we're not having classes on like Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or what, New Year's Eve. But other than that, like we are making other classes available during those weeks because we're expecting people to be studying straight through. Um, but you shouldn't really, I mean, you should be studying for a solid couple, three months for at a minimum for most people. And so that really shouldn't be super tied to your test date, especially when most people need to have at least one backup. Um, people end up taking it multiple times. Uh, by the way, my awesome, um, TA Rebecca, the one that I was bragging about last week for getting into Yale, um, yeah, she hasn't yet decided that she's even going to go to Yale, which I just love so mm. much. Right. She's she's she went to Carl's. Uh, she was at the admissions hour um, this last week and. Uh, basically, you know, talking about her application and how she got there, but she took the LSAT five times. She took the LSAT five and times now- and then got into Yale. This is going to totally change your life. Oh, totally. Well, yeah. And, you know, she also might just take a stipend somewhere else, right? The University yeah. of Michigan's yeah. of the world, I'm sure, would be offering her a $10,000 a year stipend. And so she's going to have a tough choice at that point, which is a really good problem to have. Yeah. Imagine for a second that you had taken the LSAT once and you're like on, you know, on edge and excited that someone has given you an acceptance somewhere without any money. And you're debating whether you should accept that or go somewhere else. And you're like, almost not even like confident in yourself to wait for other offers. You're just almost about to say yes to this one school that you got admitted to versus someone who took the test multiple times, got the best score they could possibly get and now is on the fence as to whether they should go to Yale. You need to be in that position of power, not the opposite yeah. <laughs> and desperate. Yeah. And it, I mean, it just makes it, it's so obvious how ridiculous it is when we hear from people who are like, well, I'm taking the LSAT in January so that I can send in my application at the last minute. And they don't, they haven't ever taken the LSAT before. And it's like, okay, well, you're going to have one shot at it and you're competing against Rebecca who already took it five times and has already been admitted to, you know, Yale and however many other schools. Uh, By the way, did you see that video? Did you see that video of ours on the thinking LSAT YouTube channel that has more dislikes than likes? <laughs> no, what it, probably it was giving people bad news about don't apply late. It was the question that we got was from a guy named John and John said, what is the ideal? This is his question. <laughs> ideal. What is, okay. the, what is the ideal time 
to apply after the November LSAT flex. And we said, don't do it this cycle, do it next cycle. The ideal time and to apply the, after the November flex is next September. That's the ideal next time. Next September. Yes. Yep. That's what we said. And the vast majority of comments in response to that video are, how is this possible? How is this the advice? They could apply in December. They could apply in January. And um, I just went on there and I said, if you want to follow, if you want average results, follow average advice. If you want better results, follow better advice. Our advice. I, I, I just, I, people were like, you know, they were excited. It was like a little mob rule. Like, yes, this can't be good advice. Fine. Apply now if you want to. <laughs> well, we're not saying it's impossible to get into good schools. And we're also not saying it's impossible to get scholarships. What we're saying we're is saying if you want to maximize your chances of getting into the best schools, and if you want to maximize your chances of getting the best scholarships, you should apply at the beginning of the cycle. People yeah. don't understand nuance. You know, they just, they can't. I mean, I don't actually, that's not particularly nuanced advice, but people don't like, you know, getting the bad news of, oh, I should probably wait until next cycle. But man, if you're hearing this now, this is coming out in December and you're thinking about going to law school. Good. You're, you're perfect. You're in perfect, fine shape for applying in September of 2021 to go to law school in September of 2022. You're, you're not even really early. You're perfectly on time to give yourself chances, multiple chances to retake and still apply at the beginning of the next cycle. But if you're hearing this now and you think you're going to start law school in 2021, um, I, good luck. I, I hope it works out for you. I, I just I don't think you're giving yourself your your very best shot. And look, you may even get a full ride, but are you getting a full ride to the school you want to go to? Yeah, that's to what the place I place you want to be. Right. It's like, oh, but I got a full ride to Michigan. Mm-hmm. I applied in January and got a full ride to Michigan. Okay. Well, you know, Michigan does give huge stipends and there are better schools than Michigan that also give full rides. And mm-hmm. so you won't even know what your true upside was if you didn't apply at the beginning of the cycle. Oh, whatever. People can be mad and not listen to our advice. All right. Um, Let's keep going. Yep. Number five on um, strategies to avoid. Repeatedly solving problems of the same type that you already know how to solve. If you just sit around solving similar problems during your practice, you're not actually preparing for a test. It's like preparing for a big basketball game by just (laughs) practicing your dribbling. I can certainly see one tie to what we offer in the demon, right? If you're drilling in the demon, the demon won't even let you repeatedly solve problems of the same type that you already know how to solve because the drilling function in the demon is going to keep making the questions harder and harder and harder. If you get them all right, the demon's going to give you all of the very hardest questions on the test. And if you end if you end up like solidly scoring in the ones, you know, 175 to 180 on every one of your practice tests, then it's time to take the official test. You don't need to do the LSAT forever. You just need to do it until you get your best possible score. And there is no better score than 175 to 180. Exactly. I mean, that that's why, like, you know, we always tell people to take time sections, occasionally take time tests and drill. And the people are always like, well, wait, 
they want to do like the best one sometimes. Like in my office hours, like, yeah, but what, like, which one should I do? I'm like, no, you got to rotate through all three because when you're doing a time section, you're getting that timer pressure and you're learning how to deal with this context of the test in the way that you're going to take it. God damn it. If you just do drilling, you're never going to feel what it's like to take an actual time section and you need to do that. At the same time, as you get better and better at the test, half of those questions in a time section are going to be so easy for you that you're just really going through the motions, which this person is talking about. So that's why you want to do drilling. So you got to do a mix of both. Yep. You got to do some drilling, you got to do time sections, and occasionally a time test. But I feel like time sections covers most of what you're going to cover in a time test. Yeah, no more than one timed test per week. You probably don't even yeah. need to do one timed test a week. You do need to do timed sections Yep. every other day or every third day. I mean, it's got to be a pretty good foundation um, for our live subscribers I'm always talking about one third drilling, one third time sections and one third classes. Yeah. Um, and classes are really just a mix of drilling and time sections. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, not checking with your instructors or classmates to clear up points of confusion. Professors are used to law students asking for guidance. It's our job to help you. The students we worry about are the ones who don't ask questions. Don't be one of those students. Amen. This email kicks ass. Number seven for things you should avoid. Thinking you can learn deeply when you are being constantly distracted. Every tiny pull toward an instant message or conversation means, okay, yeah, yeah. Turn off all your alerts. You already said that this, they're, they don't need to, they could have edited that down a little bit. Number eight, not getting enough sleep. Your brain pieces together problem-solving techniques when you sleep, and it also practices and repeats whatever you put in mind before you go to sleep. If you don't get a good sleep before a test, you will jeopardize your ability to do well. Totally agree. The book that changed my opinion on this was Why We Sleep. Um, It talked about all the learning that takes place at night. Go to bed on time. Get up on time. Do your shit. Be successful. (laughs) Yeah. Can you uh, update the scoreboard, Ben? For some reason, Google Docs is not letting me do it, but that is our 10th pearl. You know, I would argue that this email is a gold mine. It has five plus another eight, but some of these were repetitive. So I'd say, I would say there's 11 pearls here. Like we could read one of these and say, <laughs> yeah. yes, do this. I agree. Uh, we haven't been giving multiple turds though for the emails that can, many of the emails <laughs> contain multiple turds. So I think we, to yeah. keep those, you know, to keep the, uh, what, what word am I looking for? The, the tally, uh, the, the purity of the scoreboard, you know, to keep the sure. accuracy. I think we could only give it one pearl, but you're right that there were several pearls there. <clears throat> that was from uh, UPenn. And uh, from their computer science program, somehow I doubt that the law school sends out similarly good advice. You know, it's strange. I was reading this and I was like, okay, well, the person who wrote this is obviously well-read. They're citing a book. They're not just reading that one book. They're digesting tons of books and they're walking away with tons of pearls and they're adopting them into their life and then sharing them with others. It's just kind of sad. It's kind of sad how like so many emails from law schools are actually from people who are, I mean, I don't know for sure, but don't seem to be well-read, at least in terms of these things. 
Like they're just throwing out random advice that they kind of came to while sitting on their couch. You can't read a, a good book and walk away with the advice that we see in those law school emails. It's more like, oh yeah, I heard someone say that and that seems logical, so I'm going to go with it. Not based in any sort of research or thoughtful contemplation. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I have much more respect for computer scientists than I do for lawyers generally. I mean, just sorry, but that's the truth. I, there are scientific disciplines and there are not scientific disciplines. Computer science is a science and law is not. So, <laughs> you know, don't know what to tell you, but uh, it's not surprising that one of the only pearls we've had on the show is coming from not a law school. Yeah, that's yeah. To Elon <laughs> Musk's point, he feels like the world needs more scientists and engineers and fewer lawyers and financiers. I couldn't agree more. I agree. Yeah, I, I totally agree. OK, <laughs> I want to read this uh Demon encounter at Target email? I definitely do. Um, and we have a picture. Thank you, by the way, for whoever sent this in. Um, this demon. Yeah, why didn't we podcast. get the name here? It's, uh, she said use my name, but the, the name didn't make it into, our, uh, into, the, into the agenda, unfortunately. Anyway, go ahead. Wait, I think I can actually look it up. But yeah, here, why don't you read it okay. and I'll look it up. It says, today I was getting my pickup order from Target in Woodbridge, Virginia. How far away is that from you, Ben? Uh, I think like 20 minutes, maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah, cool. Lady in line behind me, quote, you really shouldn't expose your future baby to Satan. <laughs> Her response, praise the demon. Praise the demon. <laughs> she goes on. I'm five months pregnant, and it never ceases to amaze me the wild things people say to pregnant people. I hope you get a laugh from this. Feel free to use the picture, story, and my name on whatever platform you'd like. <laughs> this is one of our fans, pregnant, wearing a Praise the Demon t-shirt, the red version of it, <laughs> and getting yelled that at is funny. by Karens in Target. Oh, this is from uh, Vicky, by the way. Oh, yeah, Vicky, right. Okay. Thank you, Vicky. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Vicky. Much appreciated. That, she is so right. I mean, people, I've never been pregnant, obviously, but um, I've had four kids and been around people who are pregnant. And boy, people like to just tell you what they think. Like, oh, it's like a license to like come up and start sharing unsolicited advice. People just like to get in other people's business generally, <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah. yeah, she doesn't like the... The fact that it says praise the demon has absolutely nothing to do with Satan. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Our demon is very friendly. He's not the, the ruler of the underworld. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Um, next email. Yep. Go for it. Study strategy before the January LSAT. Okay. Hi, all. Big fan of the show. I'm registered for the January test and have a little less than six weeks of study time left. When I started studying for the LSAT, I was doing a timed section a day with review as you guys recommend, as well as one practice test on Saturday or Sunday. Although I'm, quote, working, close quote, full time, 
I haven't had much to do at all, and I have increased my studying recently. I'm now doing two practice tests per week and two timed sections with review on my non-PT days. Mm. Okay. Uh, I would say if you want to do more timed practice than do more timed sections rather than more than more timed practice tests because they're easier to review. I don't know. All that said, what would you recommend as the best study schedule in the final weeks leading up to the exam? Do you recommend the usual one-timed section per day, or should I be incorporating more practice tests into my routine? Appreciate any help. Thanks, Sean. You know, people ask this all the time. They want to know what they should do differently leading up to the test, and I would say if you're doing it correctly, you should do what you've done all along. I don't see any reason to change your study habits except for to taper down maybe the last few days. I couldn't agree more with that. There's no reason to change up your game. Like, certainly don't do more right before the test. If anything, as Ben says, you have to kind of declare victory over the test and just taper it down and focus on rest and exercise and those kinds of things to get yourself in the best like performance mode for the day of the test. In the weeks leading up to the test, you should be doing the same thing you were doing in the months leading up to the test, which I don't think involves so many damn tests. Yeah, I mean, two full tests plus two time sections on all the days that Sean's not doing time, not doing a full test. So that's a total of, see, there's five non test days. Then he's doing two sections a day on those days is 10 is four tests a week and a little bit more. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's, that's a wild amount of practice of sections. And I just, I doubt that Sean is really reviewing thoroughly. I mean, you know, he's a listener of the show and hopefully has been taking our advice. But Sean, if anything, I would say cut out one of those full tests and maybe cut out a couple of those sections and make sure you're doing thorough review. And then if you want to add other stuff, I think you should be drilling. I just just drill in the demon. It's the easiest thing in the world. And the demon is going to give you questions that are right at, and I just think you're going to improve more if you, if you do mix in some of the, some of the demon drilling. Drilling is like increasing the weight. You're doing so many reps right now. You need to cool it down and do more heavy lifting. Well, or, or more light lifting, right? The drilling is, it's not, it's not necessarily increasing the weight it's a personal trainer who's telling you exactly what you should be working on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, I guess what I'm thinking is like you're you're doing less like just b- No, you're grunt work. You're doing you're the doing exact like level harder of yeah. right. Yeah. At, yeah. Uh, so if anything, Sean, I just think that that sounds like a hell of a lot of uh timed sections. Okay. Let's keep it moving, Ben, because we still have uh two more emails and a um a personal statement. So thanks, Sean. All right. Sure. Subject, better nutrition leads to better brain power, leads to better LSAT, question mark. Hi, guys. To preface the opening banter on fasting in episode 275 led me to this idea. Oh, so it was two weeks ago that we were talking about fasting. Hmm. I'm not sure if this qualifies for pearls versus turds, but I think that health slash lifestyle choices could be a topic for the podcast. If each demon user is truly chasing the highest LSAT score they are capable of, then they should want to max out their brain power, right? 
Though the reality is that each one of us is likely guilty of some behavior that is limiting our cognitive potential. That's it, incomplete sentence. I came to this conclusion at the start of my admissions journey and am now realizing that it's a neglected aspect of LSAT prep. For the sake of conversation content, I'll use my own experience as an example. Back in late August, I started making healthier decisions by quitting drinking, moving to keto, intermittent fasting, started at 18.6, now at 24, locked in a sleep pattern, 9 to 5 each night, and locked in regular exercise. None of this happened instantly aside from giving up the booze. It's an ongoing process. For instance, I haven't yet, but would like to introduce meditation into my daily routine. I'm not saying that people should make the lifestyle overhaul that I made. This just happens to be what has worked for me. I think the overall conclusion is that it would likely benefit each person studying for the LSAT to step back, scrutinize their daily schedule, and ask if they're doing all they can to max their potential. Fun fact. Chess grandmasters burn up to 6,000 calories on a tournament day. Hmm. Praise the demon. Preachy McPreach face. I agree with this with some reservations. It sounds like Preachy has done a lot of the things that I've done and like to mess around with. Some, A couple random thoughts. Um, one, I think that... A lot of healthy decisions regarding sleep, regarding eating, regarding exercise, all those things combined together can have a, a huge impact. It's kind of like in the game sections, you know, sometimes people get better, but they don't see a huge change in their score. But once everything starts to come together, then all of a sudden you're finishing that game, you're finishing the next game, and then bam, your score like goes up. So sometimes people will like focus on one of these things, like maybe they'll they'll focus on intermittent fasting, but they're still going to bed like really late. And and so you're not really seeing the benefit because your your like health is still kind of fucked up. I mean, I'm not saying you're not going to get any benefit, but it's more like sometimes these things all come together and then it's just like, wow, you're like firing at 100%, right? So I do agree with this idea. At the same time, and this is just coming from my own experience, sometimes I've taken these things to an extreme. So for example, with intermittent fasting, I was doing six, uh, 8, 16, and then I went up to like 24 and I was just eating one meal a day, kind of like what Preachy sounds like he's doing. And then I realized, like, there are consequences, too, to going too far. Like, I think I kind of fucked myself up in that way. And so I think you have to, you have to like, find something that's good and then work towards that, but not necessarily take it to an extreme because the extreme itself can have negative health consequences. And mental health consequences are part of that, right? Like, part for example, yeah. mm-hmm. if you're going to go on a 20 hours fast, four hours eating, and you're going to do that every single day, you're going to be missing some social opportunities with friends mm-hmm. and family and stuff, right? Or you're going to be that yeah. guy who never stops talking about intermittent fasting and can't just sit down and have a piece of damn pizza with, you know, your friends. And <clears throat> sure, maybe you are doing something good for your body, but you could be doing something bad for your whole mental outlook. So just extremism generally is bad, right? Yeah. I mean, when people say, you know, moderation in all things, blah, blah, blah. A lot of times I hear that as like 
an excuse just to be right. like <laughs> lazy, like, like, oh, I'm moderate, so I'm fine. Like, yeah, well, no, like there is value in like being disciplined, but you want to be smart. You want to be like, you want to think about what really you're after. You're after your health and is the optimal health achieved by taking intermittent fasting to its extreme? Um, anyways, one other thought here, I know this is kind of a tangent, but I really got into keto for like a month and a half and I achieved high levels of ketosis and I read three or four books on the topic and I was totally into it. And then I just to play devil's advocate, I read the book called Mastering Diabetes and that one was one, a response to keto and highly, highly researched based in a way that the keto books were not. They were based on studies, but selective studies. You have to listen to the other side. And by the time I was done with that book, Mastering Diabetes, I don't have diabetes, but it doesn't matter. It was a response to keto, the keto diet. And I was convinced that keto is not the way to go long-term, that it has huge benefits. The book totally acknowledges the benefits that keto has, but it, it seems to be largely for people who are already immensely overweight. So like some of these benefits that people may be reporting are actually, you know, it's like, yeah, you're better than what you were, but not as good as you could be. And it kind of makes sense. The keto diet is well, rich. <laughs> many diets, it turns out to be all you're really doing is restricting calories, right? Including intermittent fasting. That a mm-hmm. big part of the value of intermittent fasting, why does it work for weight loss? Well, because there's so much time during the day that you're not just mindlessly consuming calories. It's harder to consume too many calories when you limit the amount of time that you eat each day. And so sure. And there, you know, there's the whole, um, parthenogenesis or whatever. There's like many other things about fasting that are good for you, but the, maybe the, maybe the number one main thing is, oh, well, you're just going to kind of like not be eating so much. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure that's what happens on keto. It's like, oh, here's these whole 90% of all foods that I'm not allowed to eat. Okay. Well then you're probably going to not, it's not going to be nearly as easy for you to overeat when there's so many things you can't eat before we move on. Um, the last thing I want to say about this email is notice the, you know, preachy McPreach face made dramatic changes to his life. Mm -hmm. The first one was cutting out the booze. That's the one that he was able to do instantly. And after doing that, he was able to make several other changes successfully in his life. Yeah. And I have heard from a million LSAT students over the years that one of the things they did when they decided that they were going to get serious about their law school ambitions was they stopped drinking um, up front. (laughs) And I'm not saying that it has to be like absolute, but drinking does lead to all sorts of other bad decisions health wise. It leads to bad food choices. It leads to less exercise. It leads to terrible sleep problems. It's, you know, you're not, and I, I joke about it, you know, like I see students all the time in the classes who have a glass of wine and they're, and they're like doing my LSAT class, Mm -hmm. which I don't, I, I, I'm, I am the last person to preach about this. 
But uh, for some of you out there, you know who you are. Um, maybe give up the booze for a couple weeks and see how you feel, because I have a feeling that it might be holding you back in uh, in many ways. <laughs> some that you're conscious of and some that you're not conscious of. <clears throat> Anything else on that one? Yeah, the only thing I was going to tell McPreachy is to read that book, Mastering Diabetes. Because as a keto fanatic myself for at least a little while, I was convinced by that book that there's other better ways to achieve the same thing in combination with intermittent fasting. Cool. Also, that reminded me, I had a question for you. Do you know the people who do the home podcast? I felt like you told me that a long time ago you did. Yes. <laughs> I, well, I'm not sure if they're doing home anymore, but yeah, you're talking about Laura. Yes. Yeah. Laura yep. is, a, uh, was a re- I went to business school with Laura. She's a really good friend of mine. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Have you been listening to home? No, no. Oh. Um, but, uh, it's, <laughs> you brought it up like the whole, like quitting alcohol and that's a big podcast in that world. Yeah. I'm trying to find this other book. If anyone's interested, no, she's um, a but friend I'm sure of, if you listen to that podcast, you'll, you'll get motivated to do that. She's a friend anyway. of producer Adams as well. Um, oh, okay. She just wrote a book called We Are the Luckiest. She was on the Today Show. Yes. She's on like the New yeah. York Times bestseller list. She's become, so she's an old drinking buddy of mine who became like a star in the sobriety world. So it's Laura yeah. McCowan. The book is We Are the Luckiest. Um, she's teaching like sobriety classes and stuff now as well. So yeah, she went to Babson College with me, another Babson entrepreneur. So to pile on to the health book recommendations, here's another book that um, I can't recommend, but uh, people I know who would recommend this. It's The Alcohol Experiment, a 30-day alcohol-free challenge to interrupt your habits and help you take control. Hugely successful for some people. That's by Annie Grace. Um, And somehow I think she's connected to Laura or knows Laura. I think it's a pretty small world. I imagine that they all know each other. Um, I can vouch for Laura as a writer. Uh, Laura was like my writing buddy and drinking buddy (laughs) in uh, business school. And uh, it's a a beautiful book. She's a really great uh, writer and a good friend. So uh, that was, we are the luckiest. All right. um, Let's, uh, I think it's you to read this next email. Okay. 173 and a full ride at Georgetown. Hi, Nathan and Ben. I'm an incoming 2021 1L. Okay, so they're going to start this year or this coming fall, I guess. Um, My purpose for writing this overdue review is to help other people who might come across your podcast. When I first began my LSAT journey, I was a third year senior at a lowly regarded Texas public university. My parents are lawyers, but neither of them studied for the LSAT. They both took their official tests blind and without any preparation. That was pretty common, I think, back, back then. I decided to do things differently. I bought books and was considering taking the Kaplan LSAT course. Don't do this, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I am so happy I found the Thinking LSAT podcast because you both have changed my life for the better. My first diagnostic was a 160. My second practice test was a 154. By the way, we should pause on that for a half second. People's scores do fluctuate. Don't forget that and don't freak out. 
The more I went by the books, the more stagnant my score became. 155, 156, 153. After finding your podcast without using the demon, my score jumped up to a regular 162 to 165. Nathan's critical approach to all things LSAT and Ben's formulaic logic gave me a real edge. I gained so much just by listening to them every week. Then I bought the demon. I drilled religiously every day for three plus hours, but no more than four. Okay, that's pushing it. That's a lot. Uh, That's a lot. It was easy, incredibly helpful, and as time went on, fun. I began scoring 170 plus, including a high of 177 after five weeks. On my official LSAT, I scored 166. That was the July 2020 LSAT. I kept on drilling, scoring a 171 on my next official test, and then 173, and then the 173 I settled on. So this person took it three times officially. So worth it. So how many people would you know get a 166, declare victory, and walk away? Right. I then used thinking LSAT for my personal statement. Wow, that was killer. I received a full ride at UT Austin and Georgetown and was accepted at U Chicago, Columbia, and Harvard. I took a deferral because COVID and enrolled at Georgetown Law. Going to Georgetown on a full ride is a dream, but working with the two of you and your great team made it a reality. Thank you, thank you, thank you. To everyone listening to this podcast, you can save hundreds of thousands of dollars and free yourself from golden handcuffs by investing here. Nathan and Ben are the best, and I cannot recommend them highly enough. Please don't pay for law school. Uh, signed, Mike. Um, okay, so is it next week? Is it my turn to write one of these emails? <laughs> yeah, they do sound <laughs> fake. Um, <clears throat> uh, I don't know. In, Mike's first diagnostic was 160. Yeah, so 173 is, I would expect yeah get to the 170s no mm-hmm. i mean i'm glad that he didn't get stuck with whatever kaplan books or barons or yep. princeton review or whatever those trash books are that you can get at the bookstore um that that would have definitely hurt someone like mike if you start at 160 and read a kaplan book you're probably going to get worse um unfortunately you know yeah this is how it is i in my experience that's how it is uh, but starting at 160 and then making it to 173 is, uh, not shocking in the slightest. I, Mike worked hard and found resources that he likes. My favorite thing that he said here is that it became fun for him. It should be fun for people yeah. who score in the one seventies. The test is almost always fun. Like you're not going to get there by torturing yourself. You know, if you think it's a miserable thing, and you're going to have a bad time of it, but you're going to grind it out. You're not probably getting into the 170s with that approach. You need to realize that the, the test is just easy and fun. And that's what we try to do. We try to make it entertaining if we can. And it should be fun eventually because you're going to be getting them all right. And it's fun to get them right. Yeah. If you're if you're thinking that it's miserable and you think you don't have any control over whether or not it is a miserable experience or not, keep in mind that you do. And the way to change that mindset is to start looking at every failure as an opportunity to learn and better yourself. Learn something. 
the test is logical. If you're failing at it, you're not as logical as you could be. Become a better person. Yeah. And, uh, and again, a little bit of gratitude goes a long way. Think about your grandparent, your parents or your grandparents, or, you know, you might have to go back a few generations, but you, you go back a couple generations in my family and you get all four of my grandparents were doing like agricultural labor, you know, and I did just enough of that shit to realize, oh my God, if I have the opportunity to work with my brain instead of work with my back, I am mm-hmm. like absolutely the luckiest person on the face of the planet. I mean, it just, you know, how bad can the LSAT be compared to working in the fields and shit? <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, you, we are all extremely fortunate. The 1% yeah. of the 1% of people who have ever lived. So, um, yeah, hopefully you can learn to have fun with the LSAT. If not, then maybe it's just not the right thing for you and that's okay. Yeah. You know, what's crazy is, um, just two days ago I was talking to, uh, a friend of a friend And, um, she went to Georgetown law school, just graduated and is now working to study for the bar. And I was talking to her about the bar and giving her some tips on how to study for it. (laughs) And she said to me that she didn't tell me what LSAT course she got, but she said that when she, she doesn't like studying for tests. And when she studied for the LSAT, she got a something I don't know what she got on her diagnostic, but she only improved by three points. And I was, it just didn't sound like she studied for it the right way. And I didn't have a lot to say because it's, you know, it's over, it's in the yeah, past. Right. But she must have done extraordinarily well if she only went up three points and she got into Georgetown. So I was like, you know, I don't know, it's just kind of a sad situation to be like, have so much potential, but not know how to leverage it by studying in the right way. Yeah. I mean, I, it worked out, I guess, but it, and she got to Georgetown, but I mean, where could she have gone? If, if you have a diagnostic score, that's going to get you into Georgetown. Well, she could have gone there for free, right? Or she could have gone yeah, or to somewhere else, a, an even better school. Yeah. Well, yeah. something like half of the people don't study for the LSAT. Something like half yeah. of applicants just go take it. Like it's an intelligence test, you know, like it's, it, which it's absolutely not. I mean, it does test natural ability, kind of, but it's also ridiculously learnable. People improve by so much. I got angry the other day. We had a, uh, it was like one of our teachers in the demon uh, is working with a tutoring student Mm. and that student, their pre-law advisor had told them not to study for the LSAT basically. It's like the pre-law advisor at their college is out there telling kids, oh, yeah, no, you know, don't don't worry about it. People don't really improve that much. Don't you don't need to prep for the LSAT. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? We see people improve by 10, 15, 20, 25 points. Oh, I mean, we've seen over 30, too. (laughs) If you really want to talk about the extreme of extreme. We're not surprised by 15 or 20. It's not, that doesn't even like, you don't even go like, oh, wow, 20, you hear 20 points. I started at 145 and I ended up at 165. I shrug and go, yeah, great. I mean, it's, 
it's exciting. Yeah, like, damn, good. You made a huge difference. But at the same time, yeah, it's not like mind blowing. You completely changed your life. Yeah. So good, but that's not like a, it's just not a shocking amount of improvement at all. And these yeah. are like actual pre-law. This is a pre-law advisor at a college actually telling people, oh, in my <sighs> professional opinion, yeah, you shouldn't study for the LSAT. Wow. Um, okay. Mike, good luck at Georgetown. Thank you for yep. writing in. Uh, thanks for being a supporter of the podcast and of the demon. Hope you'll keep in touch. Reach out to us on LinkedIn. I like to keep in touch with people um, over time and it's easy to lose folks once they get into school and beyond. So Mike, if you want to reach out to me on, on LinkedIn, I, I would love to connect. Okay. Uh, ready for V's personal statement? Yeah. Okay. I'll read it. I got to get warmed up for tonight, Ben. Tonight after my normal class, uh, I'm doing our personal statement wood chipper, which is now a part of demon live. If you would, uh, if you're a demon subscriber and you would like to have your personal statement read in the wood chipper, uh, you can email it to help at lsatdemon.com. Again, that's for So keep in mind, the person who's getting their personal statement reviewed by you is in the Zoom meeting room with you, along with <laughs> 70, 100 other people. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to... Last week, I didn't even have their names, so I wasn't mm. sure who it was, although I could tell by the cringing that was going on <laughs> on the first one, at least I knew who it was. And mm. I was like, Oh, I'm sorry, man. But you know, I knew that, Hey, we're doing this cause we think you can make your shit better. We know you can make your shit better. And, uh, I always like to say, I'm very grateful for the people who submit. Um, we'll do these on the podcast sometimes help at thinking If you would like us to, um, shred your personal statement on the podcast, yeah. Um, but as part of LSAT Demon Live, you can have your personal statement shred uh, in class. And we're going to be regularly doing like a couple per week. So you're going to have a much greater chance of getting your statement done uh, if you're a Demon Live subscriber. Brit- Brittany described it as watching a car accident. It's, it's cringy, <laughs> but you can't pull away. I, I just think that's... I. I, it's so good. People need to hear what it means to become a badass, not, Oh, well, this is great. Let's pat you on the back. You're so amazing. Continue your life. It was for sure. My favorite thing that I did last week. I mean, I love teaching the LSAT for sure. Yeah. But, uh, man, I got like super passionate about doing the personal statements last week because it was just like, (laughs) you start reading them and it's just, I'm just like, you can make this so, so much better. You know, this yeah. is so bad and you're just missing the opportunity here. You just don't understand the assignment is so bad. So anyway, most of these are terrible, but what we're looking for is the one little bit that we can pull out and get you to emphasize the right things. You got to put your best mm-hmm. foot forward and people just don't, they just suck at yeah. putting their best foot forward. I don't, Yeah, I, it's, it's not as hard as you think, but Maybe it is because people are real bad at it. Anyway. Yep. Here we go. Okay. I ended the distribution of all single-use plastic water bottles on the beach and tennis club premises by developing a reusable water bottle initiative. 
Okay, there's too many words in this sentence, but um, I, I like that it's showing something that this person has done. It's an achievement. Yeah. I don't like that beach and tennis are capitalized, but not club. I also don't and like it's- single use. It's like this person is too concerned about the details and it ends up like burying some of this information. Well, I don't even know where um, we are here. It's like, yeah. what beach and tennis club? What are you talking about? I, that that seems strange that it's it's like a proper noun, but it's not a proper noun because it doesn't say the name of the actual place where this person was working. Yep. But like you said, Ben, hey, the subject of this sentence is I. The verb in this mm-hmm. sentence is ended. Yep. It's an achievement. Someone did a thing. You know, it's like, imagine how much... <laughs> Because what t- what people typically do is they tell us about how much they care for the environment and, oh, oh gosh, there was yeah. this formative experience when I saw a dolphin <laughs> choke to death on a plastic water bottle. And that's why I want to go to law school because I want to save the dolphins, you know, that type of shit. Yeah. And and you they'll go on and on and on for paragraphs with that type of shit. Yep. Not this person. <laughs> This person said, I ended the distribution of single-use plastic water bottles at my work. Yeah. Don't need to tell me, you know, the word environment was not mentioned there. Environmentalism was not mentioned there. The plight of the dolphins or sea turtles or whatever it is was not mentioned there. Yeah. The subject of the sentence was the applicant to our law school. And the verb in the sentence is them doing a thing. Yeah. And they don't need to tell us how committed they are. They don't need to tell us how much they care because instead of the telling, they have just shown it with this one very powerful fact. It's rare that we get a statement that actually does this. Yeah. The sentence isn't that great otherwise, because it is overly wordy, but It's also missing a hyphen, like water bottle initiative. I don't know. I would just, if I were editing this, I would make it clear, but I love that we have something to work with, like an actual actionable item. You know, and and here's the thing. Everybody has something to work with. This was the part that was actually like, I was like getting choked up at the end of the wood chipper last week because I was like, you know, it doesn't have to be a grand achievement. It doesn't have to be this like major thing that you, that you achieved. It just needs to be you taking any kind of action. Yeah. We can find it for you. You don't have to have actual, I mean, this sounds like a pretty significant achievement. And if you have a significant achievement, then by all means, talk about that. But if you can't think of anything that you like a new program that you created or, you know, a paper that you published or, whatever, if you can't find a team that you led, or if you can't find any, any of those big, big picture things. Yeah. It's okay to have smaller picture actions, as long as it's you actually doing something. Mm -hmm. All right. I have worked for the Pebble beach company for two years as a front desk clerk. I kind of feel like we're going off on a tangent here. I wish this would make more sense in the context of the first sentence. Well, this is beach and tennis club. I, I'm yeah, but I guess I'm, I don't know. It just like, I kind of wish this idea, like last year when I worked at the beach and 
Right. It's Pebble weirdly backward. Yeah. I mean, I think that what they wanted to do was to lead with the the big achievement, the big win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, but you probably need to know where I'm actually working. So now let me tell you. It, but it, this this second sentence does fall super flat. The construction here, I have worked for. I get it. You're working there. You could have just named the Pebble Beach. It would actually have been more impressive as someone who knows what kind of a huge business the Pebble Beach Company actually is. Hmm. Um, I mean, they own like the Monterey Peninsula and all of these gigantic resorts and hotels and golf courses and just, you know, it's got to be a multi-billion dollar operation. But yeah, you could have just named Pebble Beach Company in that first sentence and then don't put front desk clerk. That's on your resume, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's also like makes you seem small time. Right. And I think probably what they're going for is like a, maybe a humility thing or maybe a like, you know, I was a, even though I was just a front desk clerk, I was able to create, you know, make this initiative happen. But just you don't you're diminishing the yes. impact of your Look, own achievement. We don't want you to lie or mislead, but we do want you to provide facts and we want you to provide the best facts. Yeah. That's how you sell yourself. Yeah. You 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 really only bring up the facts that help you. <laughs> you don't need to bring up the facts that hurt you. It seems like it goes without saying, but you know, like you, you don't have your, like you didn't have Johnny Cochran up there, like showing, <laughs> Oh, and look at this good cop and look at this good cop and look at this good cop. Those, yeah. That's a thing that Johnny Cochran did not do. Johnny Cochran only was like hammering on Mark Furman, who's an absolute dirtbag. But yep. that's because that's the fact that works for his case. Anyway. That just reminded me, remember that statement we read the other day that the person talked about lighting up their daily cigarette? <laughs> oh my gosh. We've seen that multiple times in personal statements. Yeah. People love talking about smoking in their personal statement. Uh, they, it's like, cause they see it in Hollywood or they see it in books or something. And they think that it's this like dramatic, cool thing. Yeah. And maybe it is for some portion of your readers, but for another portion of your readers, they're going to be like, ew, really smoking. And you decided to put that detail into your personal statement. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a That's a terrible That's lack a of judgment. Fact. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, did, did I already try to get you to watch the people versus OJ Simpson on Netflix? I just no, finished watching Netflix. it last night. It is. Okay. It's so damn good. I can't believe how good it is. It's incredible. Huh. Incredible. Okay. It, yeah. it, it's a really, really good show. The cast is amazing. And man, poor Chris Darden and poor Marsha Clark <laughs> just up against a system that they, they could not, they just, they were hmm. played. I mean, were they, were they the, the, the prosecutors? I guess. Yeah. Marsha Clark was the prosecutor for the city of okay. Los Angeles. She had gone yeah. to Southwestern law school apparently. And she was, uh, all the way up in the DA's office. Uh, Darden hmm. was also in the, uh, on the prosecution team. He's a alum of my alma mater, UC Hastings, but he was, they were up against this dream team of multimillion dollar lawyers who just destroyed, you know, the LAPD. And, um, it was <laughs> essentially the outcome of the case, 
was a travesty because he clearly was guilty. I mean, nobody has ever been guiltier than he was, but um, it was, it, it's actually, I found it, it was very entertaining and it was slightly depressing as well. Cause it was just like, Oh yeah. If you got money, you really can get away with literally get away with murder um, in our fucked up justice system. But anyway. Hey, so on that note, um, did I recommend Fear City to you? New York mm. versus the Mafia? No, that sounds great, though. Well, it might interest our listeners because it's A book or a show? How, huh? A book or a show? It's a show on Netflix. Oh, Fear City, um, okay. Yeah, and it's similar in the sense that it... Well, first it focuses on the Mafia and what control they had, but then it goes into how... I think it was Rudy Giuliani, before he became psycho, um, used Rico to bring down the mob and uh, Rico had been passed for that reason, but no one understood it. No one knew how to use it. And some law professor, I can't remember where, maybe at NYU tried to get people to use the law. Like, Hey, prosecutors use this law. And they're like, we don't, it's too complicated. The police didn't understand it, but Giuliani took on this huge project and it was hard because they had to take down the mafia all at once. Otherwise, you know, they'd get wind of what they were doing and figure it out and try to work around it. It's a hard fucking system. It's hard to win when you're a prosecutor in some of these highly funded defense cases. But in any case, it was a victory. And it's so weird to see him as a successful, like, young attorney taking down some hard shit. Like, how did he end up? He, like, took down the mob so that he could install his own mobsters. Right? Yeah. (laughs) I I, I wonder if he is actually, like, had that ill intent back then you know some people they they fall from grace i don't get it but they're they're the power or their success goes to their head it's sad but whatever he did a really good thing back then and um yeah it should be interesting to the, anyone who's interested in law <laughs> cool fear city crime. i need a new show yeah mm-hmm. uh okay back to this personal statement <laughs> yeah third this is just the third sentence now this change from plastic water water bottles to reusable bottles eliminated 34,560 <laughs> bottles of plastic waste and saved the company $20,000 per year. Okay, can we first talk about the writing out of these numbers? <laughs> well, the extreme specificity of 34,560. Are you sure it wasn't 61 or 65 or like, it's weird. It's like, seems like it's rounded to 60 when it should have been rounded to 34,000. 34,000. Yeah. Roughly about 34,000. We get it. It's a lot. You don't even need to say roughly. You don't need to say about. It eliminated 34,000. If it was 30, if it was a few more or a few less, nobody gives a shit. It is an impressive, that's an impressive fact. The thing that really made me cringe was the beginning of that sentence. The subject of the sentence is this change from plastic water bottles to reusable bottles. You could have called it, my initiative. Yep. You know, or you could, you could even the change would have been a hell of a lot better than this change, but it just, ugh, I, 
I'm getting now a sense of this statement was never read out loud because it's so, that's so clunky. V has good content, but not good style. Some people have great style, but shitty content. Um, you got to have both, but I'd rather be dealing with style problems than with content problems. Yeah. Right. We, I'm, I'm, I love the facts. Yeah. I love, keep 34,000 bottles of plastic waste. Keep saved the company $20,000 per year, but the writing kind of stinks. Yeah. By the way, um, V, I, we've mentioned this on the show before. You, you've probably missed it, but for everyone else, quick reminder, you write out numbers one through 10, 11 and up you use the actual numbers. V has written out 34,560. It's like writing a check, which is such a pain in the ass. Uh, And 20,000. The only time you break those rules is when, for consistency, it might make sense to use the number 18 in a sentence and the number six. You wouldn't want to shift from writing one out and then using the numbers for the others or something like that. But that's that's your judgment call. In general, though, you're gonna write. You're not gonna write out these long ass numbers, please. This should be thirty four thousand and twenty thousand. Yep. Would you use the dollar sign or no. the word dollars? Oh yes, I would use the dollar sign and I would drop the word dollars. It's unnecessary. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next sentence. Every week, a truck unloads one to four pallets of bottled water. Okay. <laughs> I thought you had fixed this problem. See, that's the strange thing now is that during my regular walks around the club, I find water bottles barely used and cast aside in trash cans. 60 million plastic bottles. Yeah. And then this is, this is really grating now. 60 million plastic bottles are disposed of in the United States daily. I don't give a shit. I mean, I do, but that's not about you. I'm here to learn about you. It's not about your initiative either. It's not about your initiative. This is just you whining about plastic water bottle waste. But see, the whining is so dumb compared to you don't need the whining. I already know that you (laughs) did something about it. Yeah, yeah. Like now you're complaining about the problem when you already clearly understand the problem and are doing something to take care of the problem, which is the only thing I care about. Also, the 60 million provides me no information. Uh, One, it's an astronomical number, so I can't really grasp it anyway. But also I knew beforehand when you started talking about plastic water bottles, I know there's a problem. Everybody Everybody knows knows there's a problem. Anybody knows there's a problem. Yeah. Ben, how old is your youngest son? Eight. Does he know that there's a problem with plastic water bottle waste in the United I States? I haven't put that question to him, but I bet if I did, he would have, I, I bet he would know that. Actually, the shit that they know now from YouTube blows my mind. Well, They're like, oh even, yeah, well, 10 years ago, this guy broke out of prison because they didn't do this. I was from like, school and know? everything else. Listen, my six-year-old nephew, Ryan, yeah. the only thing he asked for for Christmas is actually super cute. It's on, he's got the, Christmas, the letter to Santa and everything, but he yeah. asked Santa for a fucking water bottle. So like this, the, you know, there's a problem with plastic waste in the United States is a problem mm-hmm. that literally children understand. Yeah. <laughs> and even if it wasn't a problem that literally children understand, 
All I care about is what you're doing to solve it, not the whining about the problem. This is, God, it's like, this is maybe number one on the worst thing that people do on their personal statement is just whine about broad societal problems. Social, systemic problems. Anything. It could be racism, immigration, gender issues, uh, whatever. Any plight of anybody, anywhere, anytime, I don't, I do, I really do care, but that's not the purpose of this assignment. The purpose of this assignment is for me to learn about you and you need, like, you started out V with action where you were doing something to solve this problem. Good. Then don't, you don't even need to tell me about the problem at all. I I get it. I'm not an idiot. I understand that there is a problem with plastic waste. Oh God. Okay. So that's going to go on. That was the, uh, wait, sorry. So now V's walking around the club, you know, going tisk tisk when he or she sees the un- the water bottles that have oh look, they only took one sip of that and then threw it in the garbage. Uh, yeah, I know, but you already did an initiative that did something. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. To promote sustainable business practices, I devise Instead of devise, duh, past tense, I devise ongoing thing. (laughs) No, it's just a bad grammar thing. I devise a plan to eliminate plastic water bottles on property. But you already told me that you did that. This whole first sentence needs to be boiled down to just the first couple sentences. Yep. I did this initiative. I saved 34,000 bottles of plastic waste and... By the way, save the company $20,000 a year. Boom. Don't tell me to promote sustainable business practices. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you sound like, like an MBA who just like. It's so dumb. It's, it's just like, <laughs> yes, I know that this is a sustainable business practice. Do not lecture me about sustainable business practices. It's awesome that you did this thing. You saved the company money and you saved 34,000 bottles of plastic waste. Great. That's all I need to I, know. I see that V is trying to implement some of our techniques that yes. we've recommended. Like to promote, like I have told people on this show, this means V is actually listening, which is great, by the way, because I feel like so many people aren't. To do this, to solve this problem, to you know organize this, I did this. That is a sentence structure that I've recommended to people, but it's like V is... Well, not it, using that in the right way. If you're going to use that <laughs> structure, yeah. it needed to. You could have just said to save the company twenty thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. while reducing thirty four thousand bottles of plastic waste. You know, I I devised a plan to save the company twenty thousand dollars and to eliminate thirty four thousand bottle yeah. bottles of waste. But not the vague, broad, conclusory to promote sustainable business practices. Yeah. Okay. That's the whole first paragraph. I think that could be boiled down into like two sentences. I think it might be two paragraphs, actually. It looks like there's a line break missing there, but. Oh, okay. But I would get rid of your second paragraph. Okay. Yeah. On average, members use about 24 packs a day. Packs? Packs of what? I guess this is. 
yeah, packs that are coming off of these pallets, which I really don't care about the packs and I don't care about the pallets. You already told me the one fact. You don't need any of these other details. The big picture is perfectly fine. That's a huge achievement. I don't need who cares how many packs <laughs> like now you're telling now what you're doing now is you're telling me, well, it was 34,000 a year, but you know, it divided that into 365 and you get, it's, and the, they see they come in packs of 24 and like, huh? I don't, I don't yeah. care. I emailed my manager requesting expense reports on water, but he could not fulfill my request two spaces between the next sentence. There's one space between the other sentences, but there's two spaces there. Um, V you need to definitely put this whole thing through grammarly. Um, you know, also double check it in like Microsoft word or Google drive docs, Google docs. Um, okay. Dissatisfied with his response. I go to our water bottle vendor. I'm sorry. Whoa. This is in this weird tense. Now we just all of a sudden switched into present tense. Well, it happened at the end of that last paragraph too. I devise yeah. a plan. Then it went back into the past tense about how, oh no, members use. So that's also present tense. Oh, but I emailed Email. my manager, which is past tense. Dissatisfied with his response, I go to our water bottle vendor. He tells me the club spends about $20,000 on water bottles annually. You already told. <sighs> Here, I the think <laughs> you got to get if you're going to if this if you want to tell this whole story at length. You can't give me the main conclusion in the first fucking sentence. Yeah. Because now I'm bored. Oh, your manager told you that the club spends about $20,000 on bottle water on water bottles annually. Yeah. You already told me that you saved the club $20,000 annually. So <laughs> it's like not news. And it's in a weird present tense all of a sudden. <laughs> this next one's going to make me laugh too. The club contains about 50 members a day. What does that mean? Contains. Get in here. We're going to contain you for today. Well, that's a. The club entertains or services or helps? Also, I mean, now you're talking about one small segment of the Pebble Beach Company. Yeah. Because the Pebble Beach Company, I mean, they probably have 150 players a day on just pebble beach golf links and they have like eight golf courses and a dozen hotels and so now it's like oh so actually you just work at like one of their fitness clubs or something probably and but it's it's undercutting the magnitude of this achievement I contact our retail buyer, Kelly, who helps me draft a plan. Don't, 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 don't bring Kelly into this. I don't know. I don't care at all. This is your achievement and I don't care what her name is. (laughs) After a few months of research, emails and phone calls, period. Whoa, that's a fragment. (laughs) 
My proposal is complete, period. That is a sentence, but you meant to be you meant that to be part of the previous sentence. So the, yeah. we got real bad style and real bad grammar here. We went with Hydroflask as our water bottle brand, period. And flow water, comma, as our water refill station. That's also Whoa, a sentence a fragment. fragment. Yeah. The club's director of operations, who worked closely with the company's CEO, joined us during the club's annual meeting. Not about you. And I'm sure that's not surprise. Oh, really? You don't say. The director of operations works closely <laughs> with the CEO? Wow. I never would have imagined that that would. It's just so. That's just an irrelevant and also very obvious fact. Yeah. I sat next to him, eager to give him my resolution. And now we're back in past tense. Yeah. We got, this is like, you know, if you, and I understand that this is a, maybe an early draft or something, but boy, if you submitted this, the reader is going to just immediately go, oh, um, pretty bad grammar, pretty bad style, probably English as a second language. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Just I'm noticing that you're like not the best communicator in English and lawyers are professional communicators in English. Yeah. So the editing needs and style needs to be tightened up dramatically before submitting this. Oops. Now we're back in the present tense. He is hesitant (laughs) at first and stated, Oh, now we're in past tense again. (laughs) He is hesitant at first and stated how members would be outraged. I responded by presenting him with a comprehensive list of member signatures in support of the plan, along with my written proposal. He's indecisive. (laughs) I respond by telling him that an environmentally sustainable product will entice members. The hydro space flasks. Last time you wrote earlier, hydro flask was one word. Yeah. The hydro space flasks will cut down on our spending, alternatively profiting the club. Huh? Alternatively? (laughs) Cutting down the spending would would increase profits, but it's not Mm -hmm. alternatively profit. That makes no sense. Two months later, my manager announces that water bottles will no longer be issued. Again, like this weird fact, like it almost makes it seem like V is passive and just waiting on the sidelines. There's certain facts you want to include and certain ones you don't. But I love that we have all these facts to to work with. I mean, this could be a a killer personal statement. Tell it, It but but also, can you just tell it chronologically? Why don't people never want to just tell their story in the order in which it actually happened? If yeah. you just rewrote this and said, I saw this problem, so I went out and I I did this research, I, I talked to members to see what they would think of it, I put all this together, and I went and brought it to my manager, but then leave out the part where your manager doesn't like the plan, and then wait. you have to wait for two months. Leave out that part. Just get to the success part. Okay. Anyway, now we're going to shift 
gears a little bit, it looks like. By the way, I was just thinking about the beginning, and yes. I'm not saying that this is the way to go, but if you want to start off strong and then back up, the way I think, this is just what is in my head right now. Again, I don't know if this is ideal, but I think I would say something like, last summer, I ended the distribution of water bottles or plastic water bottles at my club at the Pebble, whatever, what is it? Pebble Beach Company, period. It all started when blah, right. blah, blah. You can you even go, have like a one sentence, one sentence first paragraph. Last summer, I ended the distribution of single use plastic bottles at my health club. Yep. Next paragraph. It started when, yeah. And that, and then tell the story chronologically. Yep. Yep. Okay. Here we go. As this story reflects, I am interested in leading the world to a more sustainable future. Whoa. Way too grandiose. Government policies may be put into place to protect our earth, period. Rhapsodizing. Pontificating. I see the law as an opportunity to shape a greener world. More rhapsodizing. (laughs) I wrote to Governor Newsom earlier this year concerning California's water allocation system. What happened? (laughs) Also, misspelling Newsom. (laughs) Newsom does not have an E on the end of it. (laughs) I didn't even see that. Newsom... (laughs) This, it's like, okay, you looked like a badass when you told me that you saved the club all this money and reduced all of this waste. Yeah. You writing a letter to Governor Newsom and misspelling Newsom. I mean, even without the misspelling of Newsom, you thinking that it's a value, like you thinking that it's a worthwhile fact to include in your personal statement that you wrote a letter to the governor of the, of California makes you look like the opposite of a badass. Like I'm glad you're politically engaged. I'm glad you, you think, wrote a letter, but that's not going to move the needle. <laughs> if you think I'm going to be impressed that you wrote a letter to the governor, huh? You, yeah. You just you just told me about a real world thing that you actually did that mattered. And then, you know, I'm not saying that it doesn't matter to write your governor or write your congressman or whatever. Sure, by all means, write the letter. But you really think that's going to do something that's even close to the effect uh, that you already had at your actual job? Yeah. Let's be very clear here. Writing the letter is good. Believing that that is a big deal is bad. Right. And that's the message you're conveying here. You're like, look right. at what I did. It's like, uh. I wrote one letter to the governor. <laughs> it, you don't even say what you, it was concerning California's water allocation system. Uh, I took a class at UC Hastings about California water resource law. Mm, yeah. It's actually fascinating. If you're ever looking for a book, Ben, that's outside your normal range. Um, there's this book yeah. called Cadillac desert, which is yeah. fascinating book about water resources in California and you know, Hoover dam and all that shit, reversing the course of rivers and in, in California. And, and, and 
<laughs> the degree of complexity involved in California's water allocation system yeah. is immense. And now hmm. this V comes off now as so naive. <laughs> Thinking that you know anything about California's water allocation system. Uh, we should be redirecting water to Sacramento. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um. <laughs> it's just, it's insane. I mean, it's, it's not like, it's, it's, it's so ineffectual. I'm glad you're engaged, but you don't know I, shit about this. This and, is going to get worse. Look at the first sentence of oh the next no. paragraph. Oh my God. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> I suggested that California create a constitutional amendment allowing water agencies to voluntarily set rate structures and provide low-income ratepayer programs to qualified customers. You're an engaged citizen, but I could have inferred that you're an engaged citizen by the fact that you actually made this one real big impact at your actual job. Yeah. You writing to Governor Newsom about a, a constitutional amendment is – that's just not what lawyers do. I'm sorry. That, that's not – Well, it's also like, – I mean we're just going to like dive into this whole like political philosophy. You're going to solve a problem through constitutional means as opposed to through normal legislative means? There's a whole question there. And you're talking to people who work at law schools and – have dealt with these theoretical questions and wonder what way you should go. And you're like, well, I, I have the, I have the solution. Oh, the solution uh, is just this constitutional amendment that I created yeah. myself or, you know, it, you probably, I mean, what the, the reality here is that V probably follows certain thought leaders in this area. And what V is recommending here is, I suggest that you adopt this plan that has been suggested by these other smart people who actually know what they're talking about. Cause I guarantee V does not like you. It's not yeah. possible. It's not, it's not possible for anyone to have any fucking clue what they're talking about when they're talking about amending the constitution of the state of California. It is just not possible. And anyone yeah. who has been to law school would tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like the political, social, economic consequences of that decision are beyond your expertise. Yeah, it's and I'm not insulting you. I'm telling you that it's not possible for any. You could have studied water. You could have. You could be like a water scientist, and have already gone to law school, and it's still not really going to be possible for you <laughs> to write a constitutional amendment. That just solves all the problems of California water resource allocation. Oh, boy. Yeah, I compiled statistical evidence on water usage and rates across California. <laughs> Ideally, the new amendment regarding water reform will increase the affordability for water. You mean of water and simultaneously promote water conservation. It's, hey, there you go, Ben. All, all we got to do is just... <laughs> Ideally, that's what would happen. <laughs> hey, if we just do this amendment, then water will be cheaper and people will conserve it. What's not to love? Keep in mind, this amendment was allowing water agencies to voluntarily set rate <laughs> structures. Oh, okay. We're going to just... 
turn it over to them and hope this all works out. Well, V did the research. Yeah. You know, so V compiled the statistics and did the research and created the drafted an amendment that's going to solve California, all of California's water problems. I'm sorry, V. You're probably pissed off as hell. Like, yeah, I do know this, and we're I. But you gotta, you gotta look again. We're doing this because we love you, V. None of this is going to impress anybody. Like, I, I'm glad. Again, I am glad that you're engaged in these issues. I hope that you go to law school and become an environmental lawyer and actually do something about the stuff you're talking about here. But it's never appropriate as part of your law school personal statement to talk about you single-handedly changing really a constitutional amendment in the state of California. Yeah. Even if we're wrong and you're 100% right, no one's going to believe you. Right. So. Oh, and, and hey, prove us wrong. I mean, go get this amendment passed and solve California's water problems. Great. I mean, I awesome. I know that there are big problems, but I I can't, I just can't imagine that anyone is going to read this and be like, oh, damn. Yeah, V is going to definitely make this happen. Yeah. My pursuit, this is the last paragraph. My pursuit of developing a more environmentally conscious world has motivated me to go to law school. You don't need that sentence, V, because you you already told me that you saved all these water bottles and all this money. I I know that's you're applying what to you're law into. School. Yeah. And you're applying to my law school. So that sentence doesn't do anything. I hope to familiarize myself with legalities concerning <laughs> colon. <laughs> Water, hazardous waste, green initiatives, sustainability strategies, and alternative energy sources. Look, you don't need to go to law school to familiarize yourself with these legalities. In fact, if you uh, became an active reader in this space, you could learn this information much faster by going to people who are advocates and highly interested in this area. Um, you're going to law school to get credibility to practice law. So don't don't tell the law schools I'm going there to learn about this stuff because they're going to be going like, uh, we actually don't have a lot of classes on this subject, so I don't know why you're well, coming here for the, to learn about this. Right? The um, marketing department is going to tell you all about all of the all of the classes and clinics and bullshit that they have about all this stuff. The reality is. In your 1L year, you're going to take maybe one class that even is remotely related to this stuff. Yeah, maybe. And in your 2L year, you're going to start taking electives, and at most, half of your classes are going to be even close to this. Because you still got to take Civ, you got to take Civ Pro 2, you got to take evidence, you got to take... Legal writing. (laughs) Yeah, you got to take... Some, at some point you have to start taking some bar classes. Like they're probably going to make you take wills and trusts. You probably have to take, you know, corporations. You probably, like there's so many classes that are not going to be even remotely related to hazardous waste and green initiatives and sustainability strategies and whatever. And they're going to read. The, I mean, there are many, many, so many, too many very naive young people who think they're going to solve environmental issues by going to law school. And there are far fewer jobs available and it's just not really what law school is about. Yeah. 
Now, there are environmental lawyers in the world. It is true. But if you come in so hot with like, here's what I'm going to learn when I'm in law school, those schools might be like, ooh, uh, well, that's not really what we do here. I mean, they're not going to care that they don't fulfill your needs. It's more that it looks like you don't understand what you're getting into. (laughs) Right. Well, and it's also this state, even in the same statement, it's not coherent in the one statement because V already wrote a constitutional amendment. V already did the research, did wrote the amendment, wrote a letter to Newsom explaining, ideally, here's what we do. So it's all sorted out. And now in the last paragraph, V's like, well, I do need to familiarize myself with legalities concerning colon water hazardous waste green initiative. Also, don't use colons. Nope. You're not using it correctly there. You'd have to say concerning these things, colon, because colon is an equal sign. So you're just saying that these things are equal to concerning, which doesn't make any sense. That just that you just remove that colon and it now becomes yep. correct. So yep. just don't use colons. Don't use colons. Don't use semicolons. Nobody uses them correctly. Just don't. Everybody okay. stop. All right. <laughs> because of my background, I prioritize environmental law. What background? You. I know you did a thing at your job, but you were working at the front desk at a, like a health club. It sounds like, how does that, what do you mean your background leads you to, and we already know that you're prioritizing environmental law. Your whole thing is about how you did a thing to help the environment. However, I'm not opposed to other areas of law too. They don't care. Oh my gosh. Well, that's the problem with going all in on this list of here's the things I'm going to learn in law school is now you have to like backpedal and say, oh, but also I'm not opposed to other areas of law. Just you need to cut almost all of this through my work experience, studies and continual awareness. I hope to empower others to save the earth. I anticipate law school may grant me the legal capacity to advocate for environmental rights at a higher level. And that's the end. Environmental rights? (laughs) (laughs) This is like oddly religious. I anticipate law school may grant me the legal capacity to advocate for environmental rights at a higher level. All right. Well, um, this is where... The naivete of the applicant is revealed. I think that's why law schools love these things. If you're a serious law school and you're looking for serious candidates, the personal statement is the place to find people who don't understand life. They get so (laughs) many statements. I'm not saying you don't understand life, but there's something just very naive about this whole statement. Yeah. And, And it's a very common type of flawed personal statement. I'm not saying this can't get you into school and I'm not saying they don't care. Yeah. If they, yeah. Schools that that literally don't care when they're like, Oh no, but you have a good LSAT and you have a good GPA and we want, we need students. And so we're going to admit you and maybe even give you money. 
but I guarantee you, V, that this statement is not doing you any favors. You, you could have done so much better. You, you got to bring this way, way back to earth. You like, have stuff that's way beyond other applicants. So you don't need to shoot it into the stratosphere. Right. Write the whole statement about your process of creating this initiative and succeeding and just leave it at that. Do not talk about the constitutional amendment. Do not talk about emailing the governor or uh, sending a letter to the governor. Do not talk about how law school is going to grant you the legal capacity to advocate for environmental rights at a higher level. This get, they're here to learn about you and you know, all they're learning here, as Ben said, they're learning that you're naive. They're not, they're, they're, you could, you could have left out all that stuff and just gone with a much more straightforward. Let me tell you about this thing I did at work and the school will then infer, oh, this is a dedicated environmentalist who has actually fucking done something about it. Unlike almost everyone else who writes these personal statements. But focus on that one achievement and leave out all of the super grandiose conclusions. Yeah. You were basically taking an opportunity that was in front of you and making the most of it. Like Nathan just said, that the vast majority of people never do. But then you like, so you come across as very practical and able to leverage the opportunities or the resources in front of you. Now you're writing a letter to Governor Newsom and you sound very impractical. Like well, that's wishful. like an eight-year-old could do that. Yeah. A 10-year-old could do that. Dear Governor Newsom, we need a, you know, there's a problem with water in California. We need an amendment to the Constitution of California to blah, blah, blah. And it's like... <laughs> Interns it's, are reading those letters and checking off a tally mark to say, oh, here's one more person who supports this. Now, you, your letter might be special. You made a recommendation. But is anyone going to take that seriously? Ugh. Well, there's like giant NGOs and academic institutions and corporate influences. And there's there's gigantic players who are trying to get various different legis- pieces of legislation passed. But now you're out here doing doing research on your own and solving it. But yeah, I don't know. It just it comes off as completely ineffectual when you you started off with like one of the best facts I've ever read in a personal statement of saving twenty thousand dollars and saving thirty four thousand bottles of water or bottles that were going to be wasted. Just cut ninety five percent of this. Rewrite the whole statement the way we suggested up front where you just walk us through the process of winning, getting this thing achieved at your job and then just cut all the rest of this stuff. And the writing has to improve dramatically, like shifting back and forth between past tense and present tense. There's misspellings, there's bad punctuation, there's incomplete sentences. There's just like tragic amount of problems with the writing itself. And that is, you know, they might be reading these statements more for that than they are for anything else. Yeah. It's a sign of competency. It's like a test. Right. 
and not that's not just natural like ability either it's it's did you take the time to make sure that this was perfectly edited before you submitted it to my school do you know the rules of written english it's it's a it's a form of test testing yeah. like we're testing you on logic in the lsat in this personal statement they're saying look there's a bunch of rules out there in the world of english do you know them do you follow them um if you don't you don't yeah thank you v i'm sorry that that was harsh um but we we do it because we love you and we know that you can make this better i mean it's just in its current state this is a d minus and you have the facts to to make it an a but you just you, you've got to make sure that you're emphasizing the right things yeah Okay. Uh, we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at thinking LSAT at LSAT demon. Again, please do leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, write some words about the show on iTunes. It helps people find us, uh, email the show help at thinking If you want to submit your personal statement for the wood chipper, uh, on the show, um, it'll make your shit better. If you do, it'll hurt but it'll make it better help at thinking If you've got news or pearls versus turds candidates or questions, anything that you want to talk to us about um, help at thinking help at lsatdemon.com If you want to talk about um, the world's best LSAT prep, which is lsatdemon.com. Check out the free trial, by the way, if you haven't done that already, it's super badass and useful. That was episode 277 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks to all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.